Hello, I'm Laura Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. Today, we're talking about one of the Pacific Northwest's signature ingredients, its seafood. Today's guest, Naomi Tomke, is a freelance food writer whose first cookbook, Pacific Northwest Seafood, presents our region's many types of seafood and the cultures and people who've influenced how we cook and eat it today. Everyone from native peoples of the region to immigrants from all over the world to award-winning chefs. Naomi sets out to demystify cooking seafood and shows us how to get the best out of what's available, from the most expensive to the most humble parts of the catch. She talked about her new book in the Book Larder Kitchen in November 2019. Here's Naomi Tomke and Pacific Northwest Seafood Cookbook. Hi guys, thanks for coming. So I am going to do a little bit of reading from my book and then talk a little bit about the process of making it. All the things that I wished I could put in, but maybe aren't as marketable. But before I jump into talking about my book, I just wanted to quickly acknowledge where we are today is Indigenous land. And it's the traditional territory of the Coast Salish and specifically the Duwamish people. For Europeans arrived here, these were the people who cared for the rivers and the oceans from which our seafood comes. And still to this day... It is the efforts, resources, and knowledge of the Coast Salish people that does a lot of the the heavy lifting when it comes to fighting for dam removal and habitat preservation and clean water and all the things that makes our seafood so good around here. So I think it's really important when we talk about these resources to just acknowledge that. And if you feel like taking it a step further, I make a monthly donation to the Duwamish tribe through a really cool program called Real Rent Duwamish. And I highly recommend that if you are looking for a way to give back. So I'm going to start this with a little confession. I didn't set out to write this cookbook. It was sort of an accident. I had been trying to pitch a history of Seattle food to agents and publishers, and I had called it Starting from Salmon, and I had sent it out to a bunch of agents and publishers, and the only publisher who wanted to buy it wanted to pay me less than I pay for a single month of daycare for my two children so that I can get work done. So I had sort of given up on it. But about a year later, I got a call from an agent who I had sent that to asking if I wanted to write a Pacific Northwest seafood cookbook. So my theory is that she heard that a publisher wanted this book and was like, oh, this person had pitched me a book about salmon or something like that. And, you know, whatever. As they say, the rest is history. But it couldn't have been a better fit. So I'm going to just read you a little from the introduction to my book. Growing up in Seattle, walking around Pike Place Market by age eight, as if I owned it, and eventually becoming a food writer, none of this translates directly to understanding or loving seafood. Though it seems that perfectly cooked salmon should be my birthright and I ought to have stirred chowder with my teething toys, the reality is that Seattle's pristine seafood remains something of a mystery to many lifelong residents, as well as to newcomers and visitors. In the 80s, salmon was often... That stinky fish a friend's uncle caught, tossed on the grill until dry and stuck on like glue, it hardly inspired anyone to go out and pay good money for it. Still today, for many home cooks, that memory lingers of mishandled or overcooked fish, improperly prepared oysters, or the unsolved mystery of how to cook a crab. All of this adds up to an intimidating proposition. Seafood, especially the high-quality goods of the Pacific Northwest, 
Lean's pricey. The fragile fish need to be cared for and cooked quickly after purchase. The margin of error is thinner for seafood than for a thick, resilient cut of meat, but the reward is also better. Perfectly cooked fish is sublime, bursting with clear saltwater flavor, tender and rich with buttery fat. Consider this book your roadmap to achieving that result. Starting from the first panicked moment in the store, wondering if a piece of fish is even good. Does it deserve that price? How do you know it's not past its prime? This book will hold your hand while you purchase the fish, help you keep it fresh at home, and walk you through cooking it from the first foolproof recipes like the slow-roasted salmon to stunning dinner party centerpieces like the Pacific Northwest version of Mokeka, a Brazilian seafood stew. It's a path I traveled myself in the not-too-distant past. Despite growing up in the Pacific Northwest, aside from the occasional clam feast, seafood wasn't an everyday part of my life. When I moved back to my beloved hometown of Seattle after college, though, I saw seafood through new eyes. While making little money but many friends in the advertising department of a local newspaper, I started with a deep dive into happy hours, especially the Seattle tradition of oyster happy hours. For as little as 25 cents a piece, we could slurp oysters as quickly as we could order them, wandering out into the night hours later, sated with the dozens down. So side note, I'm doing a piece on oyster happy hours. They are not 25 cents anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, $2 is like where you get it. All right, so been a little while. Soon after this, I began working for a group of restaurants. My office sat above the kitchen of a seafood restaurant where the smell of crab cakes frying often influenced my lunch decisions. There, I met the late, great John Rowley, the city's guiding seafood spirit, as he brought the first Yukon River Ketta salmon to market, not knowing I'd later follow him through mushroom fields and across oyster flats to witness just a glimpse of his culinary expertise. During a later job at a catering company, I stepped into the kitchen when staff was shorthanded, happily shucking, grilling, or frying oysters as needed until I could do it quickly, expertly, and without gouging my hand with the oyster knife. I worked for a frozen seafood company, learning the mass market side of the business, taste testing year-old fish sticks to see how far into the future we could realistically claim they were best buy. <laughs> and then taking home mountains of deeply discounted product. Laying out a tablecloth of newspapers, I'd text friends to come over with bread and wine, and we'd crack crab long into the evening until our hands were slippery with butter, clumsily trying to pick the shell shards from the carpet. By the time I became a full-time food writer, telling the stories of Seattle's notable, chef, notable foods, best chefs, and most intriguing culinary stories, seafood had won my heart. I championed the city's shellfish in National Magazine, flaunted the region's impeccable fish in guidebooks, and shared the stories of the people who catch and cook it wherever I could. Because what I learned through all the years of wide-eyed, open-mouthed observation was that while we have access to an impressively grand spread of sustainable wild and farmed seafood here in the Pacific Northwest, we don't have a widespread knowledge of how to cook it. We go out to eat salmon and halibut. We regularly sidle up to oyster bars and slurp mussels. But cooking seafood at home is a relatively rare event. This book tries to change that. It aims to bring the bounty of the Pacific Northwest not only into local home kitchens, but also into the kitchens of visitors who have tasted the local bounty and want to recreate those flavors at home. Which brings me to the final question I looked at in shaping the direction of this book and the types of recipes I wanted to include. Beyond the creatures from our local waters, what is Pacific Northwest seafood as a cuisine? The Pacific Northwest I grew up in, the one where I still live, thrives because of its people, which is exactly what I aim to capture in this cookbook. 
you'll find a variety of recipes from the historic and groundbreaking, like Shiro Kashiba's black cod and Tom Douglas's insight on wild salmon, to the lesser known but no less important takes on local seafood. A recipe from an Iraqi refugee converted to local lingcod from the river fish she knew growing up, and Native American chef Halal Echo Hawk squid recipe using pre-colonial ingredients. This book incorporates the flavors of Seattle that I grew up with, including Filipino food I ate at friends' parties and Thai curries from my favorite restaurants, and the flavors I discovered on my travels but have brought back and adapted to the Pacific Northwest. What I learned during this process is that living in the Pacific Northwest makes you think about your food. From our forests to our coastlines and oceans, we are surrounded by lush abundance. From British Columbia down to Oregon, the combination of saltwater coastline Islands, rivers, and freshwater lakes, as well as mountains and old-growth forests, not only produces amazing seafood, but also calls on us to think a little bit harder about why and how we eat it. The region's seafood, fish, and shellfish long sustained indigenous people hunting and gathering along the coasts and inlets. Over decades of immigration, diverse cultures have come together to create a cuisine that is as varied as its inhabitants, yet still specific to this particular place. Pacific Northwest cuisine means exceptional quality and thoughtful preparation, and to be honest, a fair amount of fennel. It means inclusivity of ingredients, techniques, and traditions, even if, no, especially if, that means you don't have any experience with the food at all. We want you to join us at our table. This book is written to share the Pacific Northwest with everyone, to bring the PNW flavor home, to celebrate both the bounty of fresh seafood and the blending of culture and cuisine through recipes ranging from traditional favorites to the interesting, unexpected, or international twists found in the region today. So that's the introduction to the book, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what went into making this whole thing happen. It was really weird to start doing interviews for this book because I'm mostly a freelance food writer, and I do the interviewing. (laughs) Turns out it's a little weird to be on the other side. But one of the first interviews I did for the book was with a writer from Spokane named Cara Strickland for 1889 Magazine, and... She led off by describing the book as a letter to seafood and the region. And when she said that, I realized that I had been so head down and so committed to the things that I felt so strongly about putting into the book that I hadn't seen how it all came together at the end. Um, I'd been writing it sort of word by word and recipe recipe and chapter by chapter. And she was looking at the final product and how that all came together and she was right. It, that's what we ended up with because that is exactly how I feel. This is my, my love letter to the region and to the seafood that we have here. But those things that I was so head down and focused on bringing together here. So there was a lot that the publisher cared about having in there. They really wanted a chapter on salmon and crab and halibut and they wanted big name chefs like Tom Douglas and Ethan Stowell. And they wanted a book for the visitors who came in on their cruise ships or are buying the book at the airport on their way home. And uh, they wanted to bring, that wanted to bring the flavor of the Northwest home. They wanted the marquee recipes and, and the famous fish. And I was like, yeah, 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 no problem, I can do that. But I have a few things that I, I'm gonna make sure to get in there. And so in my head, I, I had like a very specific vision of who this book was for. I have a lot of friends who moved to Seattle to work for Amazon and they would talk about how much they love our local seafood. And then if you actually asked them about cooking it, they really hesitated. Like you could see the fear come into their eyes. <laughs> um, oysters were things to be shucked for them, served on ice with a nice mignonette. Fish should arrive to the table without skin or bones. And, but I wanted to write a book for them that would live up to the, the fancy palettes 
that were trained on splurge meals in business school, but also that were simple enough that nobody was going to just give up and go out to eat. But I also wanted a book for people like me who grew up knowing that we were supposed to know about seafood because we're Seattleites. I feel like there's like this unwritten rule that if we just pretend like we all know what we're doing, but don't actually cook any seafood, or we cook like our one seafood dish that we all have, like nobody ever can disprove whether or not we actually know what we're doing. So um, I had to make sure that it wasn't intimidating or wouldn't scare away people who were trying to pretend like they had already known what they were doing. So I asked all the chefs, I asked for recipes to give me an introductory recipe. So when one chef sent a recipe that began, pick up bulk help on the beach, had to ask him to simplify that one. Um, so instead of having you pickle the bullcap that you pick up on the beach and then use it to garnish the macaroni and cheese that you have made and then deep fried into very small balls, we just agreed to do a Dungeness crab macaroni and cheese with some bread and butter pickles on top. It's a favorite of my two toddlers over here. They are my pickiest recipe testers. Weeks after we had tested this recipe, my mom was watching them and tried to serve them some regular mac and cheese. And Jordana, who I think wasn't quite yet three, was like, when mommy makes this, there are pickles. Where are the pickles? <laughs> so it's amazing that my mom didn't murder me in the making of this book. But it was tough to balance the way that chef recipes came in with an introductory cookbook. And it made me really nervous to have to balance bringing their vision in with like words and ingredients and techniques that any first time fish cook could look at and feel like they could do. And then I made it even tougher on myself. It's really easy to get recipes from people like Tom and Ethan. First of all, they're super generous and were happy to support me and give me the recipes. But also I just had to email their PR person and be like, hey, can I get a recipe for this? And within a few weeks, we would have agreed on a recipe and they would sign the release and we were good to go. But there were other people in the city that I really wanted to be a part of my discussion of what Pacific Northwest seafood is. And so I started asking around and going through my, my Rolodex to see who else would have thoughts on Pacific Northwest seafood. I talked to my friend Pat, who I had met back when we were both food bloggers long before either of us had a cookbook, and she now has like three, I think. But her parents had owned an Indonesian restaurant around 65th and Roosevelt called Julia's Indonesian Kitchen. When she lived here, she wove that Pacific Northwest seafood into her Indonesian cooking. And I talked to Emmy Collins, who sadly, her Brazilian Northwest restaurant Alcove has since closed, but she is now the district chef for Seattle Public Schools. But before she did that, she gave me a, a great recipe that is a moqueca that has halibut and Dungeness crab in it. I asked Aaron Verzosa, who has since opened the fabulous Archipelago restaurant. That opened the day after I turned in the manuscript for my cookbook, which is something that I know because I had somehow forgotten to get him to sign the release for the recipe. And I don't know if you know what it's like to try to get like one tiny piece of paper signed by someone who is opening their first restaurant that day. It's not easy. Uh, it also wasn't easy getting recipes from folks who don't have PR teams and assistants helping them out. When I asked someone like Halal Echo Hawk, who already donates so much of her time to educate people on indigenous and pre-colonial foods, they're taking time out of their own lives and livelihoods. But without the help from her and Sheena, who's a cook at Mamnoon and Embar, I would not have had that perspective to include in the book. I had people like Lexi, who owns the, or owned the Old Ballard Liquor Company, 
and gave me a recipe and also like sat down and told me all about what it was like to grow up eating seafood as a Scandinavian uh, child of Scandinavian immigrants in the Skagit Valley. Soma from Kamenegi gave me a spot prawn recipe, but also like a complete lesson on Japanese cooking techniques. A few weeks ago, I was reading the New York Times and they had an article about using mayonnaise to best cook meat and fish. And I thought back to the first time that I made the cod tacos in the book. Kamala from Marination Makai had given me the recipe and it basically uses that exact same technique along with pickled jalapeno brine, which is brilliant. And I remember being like, how have I never done this before? This is the easiest way to cook cod that I had ever tried. And um, the answer is that's right. And now Kenji Lopez-Alt has also told everybody about it. Um, But um, I mentioned in the introduction maybe the most special recipe in the book to me. I do some volunteer work with various immigrant and refugee programs in the area. And a few years back, I was doing food photography for a nonprofit called Project Feast. And I met Tagarine. She was there to learn how to work in an American commercial kitchen, but she already knew how to cook. She had made the gorgeous almond cookies that I was shooting. And after we were done, I nibbled on them. And she told me about fleeing Iraq during the war, living in Saudi Arabia and then eventually making it here to Seattle. She told me her dream was to open her own bakery, and we kept in touch. Today, she's a pastry chef at Bakery Nouveau, and she said she'd be happy to give a recipe, but while they ate a lot of seafood back home, she hadn't quite figured out which fish to use. And so she'd shied away from Pacific Northwest seafood. So she handed me a recipe that they would make with their local river fish in Iraq and told me to do whatever I could. And after working with it a little bit, I got it to work with Lingcod. And as I finished that up, I thought about her as someone who lives here in the Pacific Northwest and sees all the seafood and wants to use it, but just doesn't know how. And I felt like that is really the key to what I want to do here is give people the tools to whatever their style of cooking and however they like to cook to bring the seafood into their home. Some like the slow roasted salmon that is on the cover I've been making for so long, I don't even know where I originally got the idea from. Others I came up with or adapted just for the book. When I was deep in the heart of writing this book, I was down in Mexico City doing a story about Jewish cuisine in Mexico, and I was talking to a source about what Jewish cuisine in Mexico was, and he mentioned that they adapted all the Mexican specialties to kosher dietary laws and that they used tuna for their cochinita pibil, which is pig cooked underground. And I was like, you do what now? (laughs) Um, And I came home and I bought some albacore and I had knew how to make cochinita pibil and I kind of just played around until, until I was able to do that. I don't, I wouldn't call it an authentic recipe to what they do down there, but um, it works in the American home kitchen. So I wove together classic recipes, breaking down each one to make sure that every step was essential and done in the most efficient and flavorful way. And this led me to one of my epiphanies. I came over the course of writing this book to believe that a lot of seafood recipes and books just blindly repeat what another one has said before. And nowhere did I find this more true than when it came to how to de-beard a mussel. Have you guys ever done this? Mussels come with this stuff hanging off that looks like steel wool. But if it were steel wool, it wouldn't break off in your hand when you pull on it. So every seafood book ever written is like, easy breezy, just pull off the beard, you're good to go. That doesn't work. Either it doesn't pull out, or more often, you get like half of it out in a clump, and what remains are these like 
tiny little hairs that you can't actually get a grip on and you just have to live with the knowledge that you're cooking them into your food. So I set out to find a better way and I keep, and maybe after you guys get this book, you also will keep a pair of tweezers in your kitchen drawer. Uh, I mostly use it to pull the pin bones from my salmon. And so as I was digging around trying to figure out a better way to do this, I grabbed the tweezers and I used them to hold thread right at the base of the muscle. And then I could just sort of roll the muscle off the back and it comes out and the threads come entirely off every single time. Moments like this felt good. <laughs> Especially because I didn't have to imagine the little threads in my muscles anymore. And myth busting was fun. I got to do a lot. Some of them, like don't eat oysters in a month without an R, have been debunked a million times over. And I just got to explain it a little bit better, add some science in there. Others, like the cheese and seafood taboo, haven't been discussed nearly enough. I had no idea how prevalent it was, but when I told people that there would be cheese and seafood together in my book, I would get like looks of horror. This is like a regional, it's a little regional Italian thing that all of America has decided is a hard and fast rule. Anyways, if you try the roasted garlic Parmesan halibut in the book, we don't need to have this discussion. You will taste it and you will understand. And I oh so badly want to convince everybody to stop cooking, overcooking their fish. I don't see that happening anytime soon because for whatever people, for whatever reason, people think the answer to their fear of fish is to cook it like a steak. If you're gonna cook your fish like meat, think barbecue, low and slow, gentle. Another thing that I discovered in testing recipes is that people have no idea what cooked salmon should look like. They're so used to it being overcooked that they think that it needs to have that dried out look in order to be done. It doesn't, I promise. It can be moist and like rich orange still. The myth I most wanted to bust in writing this book is the people who think that fish is too smelly or too fussy, who are sure that they're gonna screw it up, that they'll screw up any expensive piece of fish, but are also afraid that affordable fish won't be good. It will be. There's lots of affordable good fish. And I apologize for letting my ski coach training do the pep talk here. But my goal for this book is that I just want people to know that they can do it. You can do it. I promise you, a fish cook lives inside all of us. We just might need some pin bone tweezers to pull it out. <laughs> I think we're going to do questions and answers. So. Um, so I'm a respectable seafood cook, but scallops elude me always. Um, they always come out rubbery, tough. What the hell? Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to go over a few things real quick. First of all, the only scallops that we can get commercially that are local are these beautiful little pink scallops. If you can find them, they're just coming into season now and there's only one guy that sells them. But they are really easy to cook because they're super fresh and super wonderful. The problem is that most of the scallops, these are our beautiful pink scallops. The problem is that most of the scallops that we get here have to be packed and they are wet packed. And so what you're getting is extremely damp. So the biggest thing is that you want to dry them out a little bit before you cook them. And so I'm actually, so there's a technique that I give you in the book for crisp skin salmon, which also requires drying out completely the top of your salmon. So you can do the same thing, which is that you pat it really dry and then actually stick it in the fridge for about an hour. And that will totally suck all, your fridge is like a drying machine. It will suck all that moisture out of the top of it. And then when you put the oil in, you'll hit the oil with a really, really dry surface. 
and that will crisp it up. The other half of this is that you use a thermometer to get to the right temperature. Can you speak to farm raised and Yeah, so a really easy thing that you can always know is that basically wild American seafood is always sustainable. The U.S. is really, really good at fishery management and pretty strict. I mean, it's not like a 100% thing, but basically you can feel good. If something is actually what it's labeled as and it's labeled as wild American, you can feel good about it. There are very few farm-raised seafoods that are sustainable. And the biggest thing that makes them sustainable is whether or not they're closed off. So the trout, which in here we talk a lot about farm trout, farm trout mostly comes from Idaho, and it is sustainable because they are farmed in a closed system, meaning that the water that those trout are in has no connection to any waterways with wild fish. That's the biggest thing. What makes the farmed fish so unsustainable is how they affect the wild populations, and that happens when they share water. So the easy answer is you want to look for closed systems. It's not an easy answer at all. But in general, trout is sustainable farmed, and shellfish is very sustainably farmed. Washington does a ton of great shellfish farming. It, shellfish farming actually helps the environment. It's not only sustainable, but I guess regenerative, because it actually they're filter feeders, and they actually clean the water as they grow up in our waters. What are your thoughts on like sous vide technique for um, fish products? I love it. Yeah. It's really great. A sous vide salmon is going to come out with almost the same texture as that slow roasted. It's the really similar idea. 125 is about where I tend to cook things for public consumption. I'll sometimes go a little bit lower. Cook's Illustrated says 120. Tom Douglas says 125. In that range, you're looking at completely cooked, but still really silky and flaky. Can you share any of your first memories of eating seafood? I have no recollection of anything other than these clams, which when I told my mom about, she claims that she has no recollection. Dad, do you remember cooking clams for us? Yeah. I okay, thank you. <laughs> mom said she didn't remember. <laughs> sushi Village. Oh, Sushi Village. Okay, there's this sushi restaurant in Whistler where we spend a lot of time. Um, <laughs> that is like my, that's been my favorite restaurant since I was a kid. So I don't know, I guess, I guess there. I don't remember not liking things, but that doesn't mean I didn't. In my head, I was, you know, Rosie loved everything. I don't know that that's actually true. <laughs> but my main memories of seafood were after I moved back from college. Like, I don't really remember. I, I distinctly remember friends, uncles being like, oh, we caught the salmon and they would come and bring it and like stick it on a grill for like 30 minutes and then serve it to us. That's like my main memory of Northwest seafood as a child was like people really gluing that on. <laughs> so where do you buy your fish? Oh, great question. So I buy it all over because I'm writing a seafood book and I need to be able to tell people about these things. <laughs> um, okay, so my favorite shops that are like fish shops are Mutual Fish down in the South End and a place called Kuzma's, which is up in Edmonds. Mostly I buy from Wild Salmon in Magnolia because they're very good and also close to my house. In terms of grocery stores, Wajamaya does a really great job. There's a fishmonger there that looks just like Andy Samberg and he knows everything. <laughs> His name's Bill. You know, PCC and Met Market both do like a great job. They're not, they're both really excellent grocery stores. They're not gonna bring in junky stuff. You'll pay for it, but they won't bring in junky stuff. Yeah, that's my usual spiel. Thank you so much, Thanks, Thank you.
thank you to Naomi Tomke for coming to talk with us about her fantastic new book. As always, you can get 10% off a copy of Pacific Northwest Seafood Cookbook and any other books featured on Booklarder Podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code PODCAST at checkout. If you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review to help others find the podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, visit us in person at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Lara Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.